everyone. Thank you for joining Wilson Sonsini's Electronic Gaming Group podcast. I'm Mary O'Brien, an associate at Wilson based out of the Palo Alto office. I'm thrilled to have you join me as I interview several of my colleagues and dig into key topics surrounding early stage companies with a focus on gaming specific issues. The information in this podcast episode is for general information purposes only and may not reflect current law in your jurisdiction. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. And this information is not intended to create and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking legal or other professional advice from an appropriately licensed professional in your state, country, or other appropriate jurisdiction. Today I have with me Adam Chevelle, a partner in our technology transactions group. Adam, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and your experience in the gaming space? Sure, happy to. Uh, so I'm a partner in our technology transactions group based in San Francisco. And we work with companies in, in, across many industries, uh, focusing on commercial contracts, intellectual property strategy, and other intellectual property related matters. Uh, I really like working in the gaming space for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, as, as, a, as a kid, I remember playing games on the original Nintendo system and, and kind of grew up as the consoles uh, started to, to be a, uh, you know, a feature of, of at-home life and, and would love to go to video game arcades. And I'll say, I don't get a chance that often anymore to play games because of my busy schedule. But I, I as an intellectual matter, I still love how um, e-gaming and, and video games combine uh, facets of technology and content and storytelling and adventure and to create magical immersive worlds. So I love the creativity and I love how it intersects with uh, technology itself and how we are creating uh, more interesting, faster computing and new facets to how we can interact with uh, a world that's really the creation of, of, of a, a team, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of experience and because of that experience, I know you know that NFTs have been at the top of everyone's mind and in the news. So I was kind of hoping on a high level, could you walk me through what blockchain-based technologies such as these NFTs actually are and how they work and what forms they can actually be? Sure, sure. So, you know, at a high level, taking a step back, you know, a, a blockchain, if we start there, is, is what we call distributed ledger, which is a, a network of many computers, right? And so the computers are located potentially anywhere in the world, uh, and they're connected through a network. And each of the computers, or, or nodes as we call them, uh, runs the same computer code and communicates in concert with the rest of the network. And each of the nodes on the network is tracking the transactions that occur on the blockchain. So anytime there's a transaction from one, I'll say person or wallet to another, all of the different nodes, all the different computers track that together, uh, you know? And, you know, so, so assuming it's a permissionless blockchain, which means it's a public and openly available blockchain, all of these transactions are open and transparent to anyone who wants to inquire. So you imagine you have, you know, a, 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 a wide network of computers running the same code, Every computer has the exact same ledger tracking the transactions, and anyone who is interested and curious can see exactly what's happening on the ledger. 
So in theory, if one computer goes down or gets unplugged or loses uh, its access to the network, that shouldn't uh, impact the rest of the network. And similarly, if one computer gets hacked and is uh, manipulated, it wouldn't track with all the others. So it's easy to, to find any errors compared to the, the rest of the network. Um, so essentially think of a blockchain as a, as a you know, a, a, a record of, of transactions. And so um, the NFT and how that, uh, NFTs and how they come into play with, with blockchains is, you know, think of an NFT as a, a, a thing. Uh, it's a cryptographic hash that's unique uh, and can be transacted over a blockchain from one user to another. And, and that would go, let's say, from one user's wallet to another user's wallet. Uh, and that hash, that cryptographic hash, is linked uniquely to a digital asset, right? And that digital asset can be uh, a picture. It can be a, a, a small video that loops. It can be a longer video. It can be uh, a work of music. Really, uh, you know, the Im imagination is our only limit to what kind of digital content can be um, linked to the NFT itself. But essentially, the NFT acts as the, um, you know, chain of, uh, you know, there's a record of who owns the NFT, and it can prove authenticity and originality of the asset. Uh, so that if I have, let's say, um, uh, one of the CryptoPunks, for instance, I can show you because of the, the uh, open nature of the ledger and the transaction history of who's owned this CryptoPunk since it was uh, minted or, or, or created by Larva Labs, uh, I can show you that, hey, this is an actual original official CryptoPunk. And, and that's where I think the unique facet of the NFT technology comes in is because suddenly we're creating an environment where um, authenticity and origin can be verified with respect to digital assets, which was uh, challenging before, right? In the real world, if you have a uh, real Louis Vuitton bag, uh, you know, there's a way to show that, hey, I, I bought this at the LVMH store. Uh, it, it was made by this company and therefore I own this asset, right? It was hard to do that with digital goods because of the, the medium and because how easy it is to say, copy and paste uh, a digital file, whether you find it online or elsewhere. So what I'm hearing from you is that, is there a concern with simply people copying and pasting to claim ownership? Or are you saying that the cryptographic hash and the ownership ledger removes that? Well, it doesn't remove people's ability to right click, copy and reuse digital content, whether or not they have the right to do that under license from the copyright owner. What it does do is give the um, owner of the original asset the ability to signal to the market that they are the true owner. And that's the difference, right? There can be millions of copies of an NFT, uh, but only one real owner of that NFT at one time. So think about a Picasso, right? Uh, a, a Picasso is a unique uh, asset that is that it can only be owned. Well, it, it, it can it can be possessed by one one owner, um, but there can also be thousands or millions of posters of the photo image of that painting, right? The the fact that there are 
many copies doesn't really uh, denude the value of the original. Is there a concern about people taking these copies and scamming or um, ripping off people that are seeking to buy NFTs? It, absolutely. And, and that's one of the biggest challenges of the NFT marketplace uh, and, and, and a sort of cri cryptocurrency uh, in, in general and, and, and sort of the online world here where uh, users are anonymous. There are a lot of scammers out there trying to look like the original projects, trying to put themselves off as the creator of a, of a well-known project and, and trying to sell copies of well-known NFTs uh, to dupe the public. And, and the fact that they're so prolific suggests that they're having some success. Um, so, you know, it, it, like, in many areas, it, it's important if, you, if you're actually looking at the, the market to, to understand the different ways in which um, sellers and projects are verified uh, through the marketplaces. It, it, it can almost be seen as a badge of honor uh, when, when you finally get scammed, uh, because it, it happens to a lot of people. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, I think uh, there are some well-known, uh, very sophisticated people who have been scammed, and uh, it's, it's just something to be very wary of. So in a in real in the real world, when someone sells you a counterfeit good or someone doesn't deliver a service that they've promised, we can go to court and get restitution. Is that the case here? You know, that's a good question. You know, so as a practical matter, as far as the technology goes, there's no way to unwind a transaction uh, other than sort of putting on like the white hat hackers to go and try to steal it back by uh, brute force of, 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 you know, very good, uh, sophisticated hacking. Uh, as a legal matter, you know, I, I suppose if you were sold a, a counterfeit good being told that it was something that it wasn't, I think in theory you have uh, a breach of contract claim or some, some form of uh, potential legal claim against the seller. But we we haven't seen people going to court yet to enforce um, contract claims like this or other claims relating to uh, forgeries uh, in the NFT space. It's possible that they'll start popping up now that the medium seems to be becoming more and more popular and 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 used. And and I imagine that we may see some cases, but I, you know, it, given the fact that. Uh, the owners of wallets can hide behind a good deal of anonymity. I think it would be challenging to find the right person to serve process, for instance, on uh, for, for a claim if you wanted to take a seller uh, to court. Indeed, you would need a lot of you need a lot of digging and, and, and uh, sleuthing in the backgrounds to, to find out who exactly that was. So it sounds like everyone really needs to do their research before um, diving into the NFT realm just to confirm authenticity here. A hundred percent. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, these NFTs, as I'm reading and researching, they really tout being these one-of-a-kind assets which are bought and sold just like physical property, but they exist only in the digital realm. So I was hoping you could kind of discuss the considerations around purchasing and selling beyond just establishing authenticity, such as things like royalties. Sure, sure. I think, you know, the, the 
technology of NFTs reflects an interesting, uh, I'll say, springboard innovation uh, around the rights of artists. Uh, and if you think about it, we can take the the painting analogy too. You know, very few painters who are famous now sold their paintings in their lifetimes for the amount of money that is now being exchanged for those paintings. With NFTs, um, you can build into the smart contract, which governs their uh, their sale on the blockchain, um, a, a continuing residual or royalty that gets paid to the original author. So if you sell an NFT today for one ETH, or the uh, the, the cryptocurrency on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, if you sell it for one ETH today, that's one ETH in your pocket. But if the person who buys it turns around a year from now and sells it for 10 ETH, uh, you can build into your smart contract that every time there's a transaction relating to that NFT, the original author gets 5% cut, 10% cut, 2.5% cut, so that the author participates in the market that's being created for their art, right? And think about if Van Gogh or or Picasso could, or even their estates could get a cut of the types of of, of, of quantums that are being paid for their paintings now. Um, that would be a significant uh, improvement in the the capturing of value that artists see to their to their artwork. So you mentioned this when you were explaining um, your answer before. What is a smart contract here? What what kind of terms are built into these NFTs as people are buying and selling them? Think of a smart contract as a, a contract that self-executes. So it doesn't need a third party to come in and perform. It performs based on the conditions that are written to the contract. So, you know, you know, you can say, if this, then that, right? So if this is if this NFT is sold, then, you know, 10% of the transaction value gets sent to this wallet, which would be the wallet of the original artist. Um, so like drafting a legal contract, it's, it's a very flexible and, and creative format in which to create uh, a sort of a logical uh, set of, of nesting terms. Um, but the difference with the smart contract is because it's running on an Ethereum you know, computer node, it, it, it can execute itself if the uh, conditions can be confirmed within the, the blockchain. I'm assuming the smart contracts may contain things like ownership rights, which I know now with these NFTs have kind of started to deviate what from what people may consider a traditional ownership right. So I was hoping you could kind of touch on a general sense. How is ownership determined? Is it a license to the purchaser from the original artist? Right. So th this, this gets to a really interesting question uh, around NFTs, and that is when we talk about owning an NFT, there, there are two different things to consider. One is the actual cryptographic hash itself, right? So the um, the hash on the blockchain is what's transferred from one owner to another, right? Um, so in a sense, when you say you own an NFT, it's proper to say you 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 own the cryptographic hash that the NFT is linked to, right? But the content itself, I mean, th there there are many different ways in which we uh, either um, sell ownership to content or license content. You think of all the different Creative Commons uh, variety of, of, of licenses, for instance. And so there isn't a 
uh, unified way in which content gets licensed or or transferred as part of NFTs. And so um, a lot of very popular NFT projects are licensed under Creative Commons Zero License, which is essentially the public domain, right? And and that's seen by some as a pure pure spirited uh, NFT project because the actual content itself is free for all to do whatever they want, make derivatives, modify it, copy it, it's fine. And, and you know, those projects rely on the fact that the, the, the content is linked to the cryptographic hash as being the, the, the driver of value. And in fact, they probably get extra cultural value and, and, and attention if their, um, if their IP, if their content gets spread by imitators and, and, and supporters who, who like it. Um, but when you get to the the more traditional kind of, I'll say, private enterprise world, you know, companies where controlling their IP and content has it drives their value, right? Think about record labels, think about you know gaming companies um, or other, you know, think about Disney for instance, right? That the value of their IP has been built up by protecting it and having exclusive rights to monetize and to exploit it. So you know, coming up with uh, ways to ensure that if you buy, let's say, uh, an NFT, you know, the, the, the license rights you're getting um, might not be public domain rights. They might be the right to use it non-commercially. But if you want a commercial use of the NFT content, you need a separate license from the, the owner of the content. So uh, all this to say is it can vary quite significantly and uh, will really depend on the project. Yeah, it sounds like we're kind of in the forefront, the beginning of this introduction in revolutionize of cryptocurrency. And I wanted to talk about how we're now beginning to see this actual diversion from traditional gaming with the introduction of NFTs into these games. So could you touch on what role NFTs play in games as they are right now and what role they may play or are trending to play in the future? Sure. Given that NFTs can be used to create traceable, uh, verifiable digital assets. I think there's an, a natural potential for it being introduced into virtual worlds, right? Whether that's something that's more of like a, a decentralized universe like the Centraland um, or, or the metaverses, as people are calling them now, um, where you can, you know, have the um, digital assets, maybe that's a set of clothes, maybe that's a special hairdo or avatar um, in the game itself as your avatar. Um, or, you know, in, in more traditional gaming environments, uh, you know, like think think of things like in Fortnite, having different skins for your character, um, different weapons you can buy, you know, creating an NFT enabled game would permit a gamer to take assets from one game and transfer them over to other games. Or even within the same game, create assets that you wouldn't lose if your uh, game was up, right? They were, they'd be persistent and continued because most in-game assets and virtual items are licensed to the gamers, to the users, by the, by the companies that, that, that are publishing the games. They're not, you don't have an ownership right in, in your, your, the, the different um, in-game items that you might buy uh, in Fortnite, but if it was an NFT, I think you would have an ownership right, an ownership interest that you couldn't be uh, revoked like a license can be revoked. So I think it, it creates an interesting potential for 
a new ecosystem, um, but it's also been very contentious within the gaming community. And you know, I think there's there's a bit of history there, um, which which uh, predates um, NFTs, which is, you know, if you go back, console games were uh, bought, you know, upfront for whatever the the publisher was charging, and then once you owned the game, you could go and go on and play it and and play it as much as you want. Um, and it was sort of a a pay once and 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 play forever type scenario, right? And then every now and then you'll have you know add-on packs things like that but but the, the concept wasn't where gaming has has sort of evolved which is into more of a freemium or microtransaction uh environment where it's largely free up front but then within the game gamers are having to make payments to access special benefits whether those are powers or uh certain uh you know weapons etc and you know, gaming companies have learned pretty quickly that the freemium model, where you have you know microtransactions in the game, in the long term, yield better returns than just doing an upfront sale, right? And so uh, the flip side of that is that gamers have become quite wary of publishers who are moving from the sort of traditional console concept to in-game microtransaction games because they realize that they're going to be the losing on the losing end of the stick on that one, and they're going to end up paying more to the publishers than they otherwise would have. And it's against this backdrop that NFTs are arriving. Uh, and I think a lot of gamers uh, are are wary of the up a potential uh, another layer of cash grab and an aggressive uh, commodification within the gaming experience uh, so that they can continue to pursue the uh, game in an unadulterated and, and non-monetized way. That makes sense, and I understand the gamer's concern. Yeah, you know, I think the the, the legal considerations are um, quite similar to the legal considerations you'd have for any user-generated content, right? When you're bringing in licensed content, uh, you know, making sure the licensor, whoever that may be, has the rights to uh, grant to the publisher or to the users um, the right to use the content or IP that they are bringing into the ecosystem, right? If you have like a marketplace for NFT assets, making sure that the sellers on that marketplace have the sufficient rights in what they're selling, right? So you, you obviously can't sell a counterfeit piece of content. Um, and also if you're selling your own content that the the license rights that you're granting or maybe that you're assigning the, the rights to the public domain um, match the kinds of rights your users need to um, be able to exercise the rights you're 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 telling them they're going to have with the respect to those NFTs. And I know there's been some recent court cases that have arrived um, about NFTs and whether they're deemed securities. Like, would you recommend that gaming founders who are considering NFTs consult with a securities lawyer? I would always recommend you consult with a securities lawyer. Uh, <laughs> I think the the, in, in this space, if you're going to be creating anything around, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, cryptographic hashes, um, DAOs, NFTs, it, it's very prudent, even if your securities lawyer says, not a concern, but let's talk later, kind of, at least you have that um, peace of mind. There, there is, as far as I know, uh, a court case that's going through the Southern District of New York 
currently. I think there's a consumer that's suing uh, Dapper Labs, who's best known for CryptoKitties and NBA Top Shot, uh, alleging uh, that the NFTs they purchased were a security and uh, should have been registered as a security. Uh, I think that's still a pending lawsuit. Uh, it will be very interesting to see um, how that goes. I think, as far as I can tell, you know, there's it's, it feels like a long shot suit from the plaintiff, but also, you know, you never know what could happen, and that and that could certainly shake up the industry. But you know, at at this point in time, I wouldn't expect a shake up. That's fair. And as a closing thought, I was hoping you'd be able to leave the listeners with the biggest piece of advice you could give to founders who may be considering adding NFTs or want to learn more about NFTs. Yeah, you know, I'll say this isn't investment advice, um, but I think the best way to learn about NFTs and, and understand the, the potential for them is to, to, to get involved. To, to go look at the marketplaces, maybe maybe buy a little, you know, a very inexpensive NFT to see what the transaction experience is like, you know, uh, having a, a wallet that can hold your NFTs and, and you know, other cryptocurrencies and sort of, you know, getting on Twitter or on, on Discord servers for, you know, NFT enthusiasts and just getting a scope of how people are transacting how people are communicating what the general feel is um, because ultimately you know as technology aside you know nft is is simply a new new way for um, people to gather in communities around um, things of you know shared interests right those could be cultural interests around uh, certain art or memes or you know cartoon characters uh, it could be shared interest in music or, or a film uh, director. There are all these different ways in which we as people collect in communities. And, and this is just giving us a new venue and a new technology platform to gather together and, and share our excitements and share our uh, stoke and share our displeasure and, and sort of create a culture around um, things that other humans are creating. And so I think to me, that feels like a really interesting social experiment that we're going through right now at a different level. It's not novel. We've done it for probably since you know, humans have, have you know, crawled out of uh, the caves, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting experiment that's happening in real time right now. Uh, and it's an awesome opportunity to have a front row seat and, and to see it sort of from the inception of the industry and inception of these markets to see how things go. And I'll just say, be careful, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's easy to get burned out there and just sort of uh, play it safe and it should be a very interesting ride. It's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for your time today, Adam. Wilson Sincini advises a wide variety of clients in this gaming industry. If you'd like more information or if you have any questions about legal issues arising in the gaming space, please don't hesitate to reach out to any member of our electronic gaming group. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.